Bobby. Look at this thing, you guys. I didn't know that the last song was going to be so heavy on the reggae. It makes me want to start a church in Hawaii. I feel like the Lord is calling me to do that. And um, it would just be a reggae worship church, and I could wear necklaces like this, and I could sing songs. I'm an island boy. I'm an island boy. That's what this is about, right? Where is he? Are you hiding? You're hiding, aren't you? Where are you hiding at? I know you're in here. Oh, he's way in the tech booth? Because you're an island boy. I don't even know how to get this thing off me. I need help before my neck turns green, you guys. <laughs> Somebody help. I'm in a prison. I'm in a, okay, I'm just going to rock it. Open your Bibles to the book of 1 John, and I'll tell you a little story about why we ended up here, because I wanted to preach through the book of Hebrews. At the chapel, we like to go through books of the Bible, and in the Old Testament, it gets a little wild because there's long sections that contain big ideas. So last year, I tried to, or last week, I tried to just point us, like, this is what the rest of Daniel is talking about in Daniel chapter 12. And we've ended Daniel, which ended about 500 years before Jesus came. And then I thought, you know what would be a great book to teach on? The book of Hebrews. Because Hebrews is that book in the New Testament by an unknown author. And it ties in the Old Testament. It says, here's where the Old Testament fits in to the time of Jesus. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, Lord. I feel like Hebrews is where, where we should go next. And it was all Ryan brain. So I started reading Hebrews. I got my commentaries out. I'm studying the structure again just to refresh my brain. Okay, here's the structure. Here's the background. Here's the context. And I read through Hebrews. I'm like, oh, this is going to be so good, Lord. I think I'm going to really like this. And it was all about what I'm going to like, what I wanted to do. And then as I kept reading Hebrews, I got to the end of Hebrews, and God said, just keep reading. Just stop going back to Hebrews 1 and just keep going. So I just kept reading, and then I got through some books, and I went to 1 John. And right when I got to 1 John... I felt like God was saying, this is the one where I've been trying to tell you to go. And I said, no, Lord, Hebrews is where I would like to preach next. So I, I literally was like, no, we're going to do Hebrews, Lord. And God said, no, you're going to do 1 John. And I read 1 John, and then I resisted it. I'm like, I'm not going to post anything on the chapel's Facebook page. Because Hebrews, there's still a chance until you make your Facebook cover photo a new series, there's still a chance that Hebrews could be the one. So if you go on our Facebook now, you'll see that it's just 1 John. We're in 1 John, you guys. The reason why we're in 1 John is because this is what God wanted me to preach, which means that there's areas of this book where your pastor needs to grow and repent and change, and areas where we as a church family need to grow and change. 1 John is a very simple book with a very simple premise. The author, John, wants us to have full and complete joy that's found in Jesus, John wants us to know that deceiving people are coming into God's church and are amongst God's people now who preach a, a gospel that's not good news. And John wants us to know how to identify them and how to, how to see what a genuine follower of Jesus looks like. It's, it's not a book with a moral list that says, if you do these things, then God will accept you. It's a book that just collides the good news of what God has done for you and it's going to set it right into our laps and say, this is the gift you have. Some of you are looking for new beginnings. I'm at this uh, phase of my life where we just, my boys both aged up. And I have my very first teenager. I'm so excited. If you're a parent of teenagers, can I get a woohoo? Yeah, I'm very excited. I don't know what lies ahead other than like the voice changing, the hormonal infusion, the underdeveloped prefrontal cortex. 
All of these things I'm looking forward to. Maybe you're like me and you're in a phase of new beginnings. Maybe you've just gotten out of a relationship. Maybe you are starting a new job or leaving an old job and you're wondering, okay, what in the world is next for me? And this is where perspective of, of 1 John matters. Because John, in his gospel, the, the, the beloved disciple, the This is, if you're new to Christianity, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are all what we call gospels. They're, they're stories of the good news of what Jesus did for us. This is 1 John. It's all the way toward the end of your Bible. And it's 1 and then John, not just John in the title. So 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. We and they're brief letters. You could read this whole book from start to finish at conversation speed in less than 30 minutes. So I would encourage you to do that. There's a reading plan. If you scan the Bible Notes app, there's a reading plan at the bottom that will take you through this book in five days. And I pray that we will all drink deeply from this book. We're going to be in it for a couple of months going into Christmas because it's about the light of the world coming. I need to pray for me and for you this morning as we open his word and take a, a not just a 30,000 foot view, but this is a cosmic view of what God is doing as he sets up this book for us. So pray with me. Father, your word is my treasure. I pray it would be our treasure collectively, that we would never seek to impose our will on your word, but rather let your word impose your truth upon our will. Lord, make us strong men and women of faith from the youngest person in this room to the oldest, Lord, speak to us. Lord, reveal to us what you want to reveal this morning. Change our hearts to be more affectionate for you. Pull our minds away from those things that would seek to distract us because you are the light of the world. You are the treasure of humanity. You are the one for whom our soul was made. And I'm exhausted of piddling around with these little temporary things that never satisfy. So help us, Lord, to be satisfied in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just touch your face for a second, unless you don't want to mess up your foundation or whatever. It feels oddly physical, right? Last week, I talked and joked a little bit about the metaverse. This whole thing that Facebook, they changed their name to the metaverse. And the more I've been pondering it this week, it just seems so fascinating to me that humans are trying to create a world where you can have your identity and build new relationships and you can cultivate things in this new world. And they've branded it this amazing new thing called the metaverse. But the more I thought about it this week, it's really just like a plagiarization of the universe, right? Like God made the universe with people who could forge relationships. Now the difference is, is in this new world, you can pretend to be something you're not. You can wear gold chains, silver chains. This thing must be shiny out there to y'all. Is that shiny? Can we make this the new profile picture for my Facebook, babe? Cause I'm an island. No, sorry, okay. This is what's going on. That John, just like in his gospel, goes in verse 1. To the, to the very back of history, the book end of history, 
in our history, not God's history. God has no history. He's eternal in any and every direction and span. Verse 1 of 1 John chapter 1 says this, that which was from the beginning. From where? The beginning. Which we have heard. Which we have what? Heard. Which we have seen with our eyeballs. Which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Stop right there. John is making something very clear. There were groups of people in his time, just as there are groups of people in our time, who liked the principles of Jesus but didn't want to believe in the real, physical, lived, breathed, ate, died, resurrected, and ascended to the heavens, Jesus. See, in Christianity nowadays, there are people who may say, oh yes, I'm a Christian, but all we're doing is following principles about Jesus. Things that we pull out of the Bible that we say, well, I like this, so I'll do that. But I don't like this part. I don't like the part that Jesus came and said, now I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross, die to yourself, and now follow me. I don't like the one about when Jesus told the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and come and follow me. I like the one that just says, be nice, use words that are helpful. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And John is battling this. John is from the outset saying, from the beginning, from the beginning of all that God has done, and from when God sent his son down, it wasn't just an idea. It's not just a book of how to live. He sent down a person, and this is John who ate with Jesus. This is John who would have shared cups of wine with Jesus. And he says, I, you guys are saying Jesus just these rules? No, I looked at him. I heard his voice reverberating off my eardrums. I watched him spit in the mud and smear it on a blind man's face, and the blind man regained his sight. I touched Jesus. Now, I, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to touch Jesus. I, my love language, if you've never done the love languages, or you young people, you've never even thought about love languages, there's this book It came out. And who knows if it's complete, but it's pretty brilliant. All the married people who have read it, they think it's brilliant, I believe so. Because we all have a love language, a way that we prefer to receive love. There's physical touch, and I can't remember the rest of them. Uh, acts of service, yeah, that's not mine. Um, quality time, I know what they are, you guys. It was a joke. Where do broken hearts go? Physical touch. It's not my love language. Um, yes. And here's the thing. You tend to show, you tend to, to show and give the type of love that you want to receive. So if you're a physical touch person, you might, you might randomly just want to touch people that you care about. Hug people. Hugs are important to you. You love to embrace. I can't fathom Somebody telling John, who embraced Jesus, who ate with Jesus, who was there when Jesus was getting his feet washed, who was joking around on the road with Jesus. See, we have disconnected the person of Jesus from the, the moral and doctrines about Jesus. We've disconnected them. Christianity has become, do you do this or do you not do that? Are you good enough here or are you not good enough there? John is reminding the people, look. This thing that we're about to go on, this journey to find joy, this journey to understand what you are called to do and be, it's because of a person. Not, an, not just an idea, 
not a seminary class, not a Bible study, not some doctrine system. There's a person who I saw, I touched, I heard. And he's the word of life. Verse 2, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it. We talk about this life who was made manifest. We testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. Now, this is where we have to do some nerdy stuff. So if you're a nerdy person, I need you to, to A, I hope you have your Bible event app open because I put these, some of these scriptures in the notes in your, the YouVersion Bible event app if you scan it in the lobby or if you can go to more and go to the events tab. See, we have people that ask questions, and it's important that we know that Jesus, he's the Son of God. And we do the Christmas thing where we take the pagan holiday with the Christmas tree and we make it ours. We say Jesus was born on this day, although he was most certainly not born anywhere near December 25th. That's just a fun fact for you to be annoyed so we can be annoyed together, okay? In, in fellowship, we can be annoyed. Jesus did not begin existing then. Jesus has always existed. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit of God have always existed for eternity past to eternity future. And when Jesus was born into the flesh, he became he went from being what is called the Word, the Logos in the, in the Old Testament, to, to now Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. In John, the Gospel, he says it this way, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, not anything was made that was made. This is a very confusing verse. I don't know why as Christians, when a new Christian always comes into the church, we give them a Bible, and we say, they say, where do I start? And you say, go read the Gospel of John. And that's the first line of the Gospel of John. Something about a dude named Word, who was in the beginning with the God, and also did all the things that God did in the beginning. Because if you read the very first verse of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, who created? God created the heavens and the earth. And in 1 John, it says, yeah. When we say that, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're talking about this, this person named Word. See, when the Spirit of God, as a cosmic, divine, all-powerful, all-knowing being, exists, when that Spirit speaks out, it is the Word. That Word, when God speaks, it's the Word. That Word operated throughout the Old Testament, and then it became flesh, and we call him Jesus. It's the most worshipped person in all of human history. God in the flesh. In Colossians 1.16, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. So the Bible doesn't see this separation like we've tended to do, like, okay, how does it work? The Father, the Son, the Spirit, like they're one, but they're not. For this morning, just be like, okay, if the Bible says something that I don't understand, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, God is smarter and more complex than my peanut brain can understand. And I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was in the Old Testament all over the place. Jude 1.5 says, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved people out of the land of Egypt. That's weird. 
Jude says that that person that saved the Egyptians, there was thousands of years before Jesus was born in the flesh. It was Jesus that saved them. See, when God moves, it is the word and will of God. He didn't have the name Yeshua until he was born, but he existed preeminently. When they drank from the rock in the desert, when Moses hit it with a staff, or Charlton Heston, whichever version you've watched, the water that flowed out, it says, you, you drank from that water, that was Christ. The rock was Christ. Long ago, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. See, it's this progression of God in history, of God saying, look, everything's good in the garden. Everything went bad. I'm sending my people, my screamers, they're grumpy. They're just going to say, come back to God, come back to God. Here's God's law. And Israel failed and failed and failed. So then finally God sent his son at the time when he had planned to do so and said, okay, I'm here. I've been, I've been existing. I've been creating. I've been sustaining. The Father is enthroned in heaven. And the Word, Jesus, comes down to earth and puts all of divinity inside a body and eats fish and cooks things over fires and heals blind people. And this is who John is coming to tell us about. He said, if you believe in this Jesus, not the ideas about Jesus, but in this Jesus, your life will begin to change, and you get an amazing gift right out of the gates in the introduction of this book. It says in verse 3, that which we have heard or seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. I need to stop right here, actually. Sharing the good news about Jesus is not about you being able to out-argue your opponent. I, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care if you've got more degrees than, than any of us can count. If you think that sharing Jesus is about knowing better arguments than someone else, you're missing the point. The point is to witness, to share, to testify about what Jesus has done for you. So I'm going to ask some of you right now, what has Jesus done for you? Saved your wife twice. From what? Her brain tumor. What has Jesus done for you? Gave you his love. Thank you, church answer. What has Jesus done for you? Oh, I'm pointing at you next, Mason. Prepare your answer. Okay, what has Jesus done for you? Yeah, that's a good answer for a man with his glasses down that low. It should sound like that. Yeah. What has Jesus done? I wouldn't do that to you, JJ. I wouldn't do that to me. No, no, I wouldn't. Um, do you want to share, though? Just asking for, never mind, okay. I always point to the introverts behind you. Yeah. I don't need to point to an extrovert and convince them. They're waiting right now for me to call on them. Pick me, pick me. The introverts are like, die and burn myself in a hole. Yeah, no. Testify what God has done for you. When Jesus came into your life, what did he do? Because it's about him, not about you. I've shared this before, and I'll share it till the day that I die. I cannot stand Christian testimonies about these crazy people who were like in the jail doing the drugs, whiskey and cocoa puffs, and then God changed them and he made them all clean and they never looked at anything bad for the rest of their life. 
I, and then they just flutter off stage with the glow of God's aura around them. I like the testimonies from the people who are like, I'll tell you what, here's the darkness that I found myself in. I was throwing up on the floor of my bedroom because I was drinking by myself. And then something reminded me, just prodded me to go open a Bible that I knew I had had, and I opened it, and when I found it, it was just this verse about God loving somebody when they're at the bottom of the pit. And I turned and gave my life to Jesus that day. And you know what? I've still stumbled and fall. And every time I do, Jesus grabs me and says, it's okay. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. I don't like the testimonies that are about the super saints. And they, they're, they're perfect. Nothing annoys me more than Christians who pretend to be perfect. Because I'm a religious, judgmental person. Okay, I used to be the younger brother who ran away from God and just, I want to do all the things my way. And then I became a Christian and then a pastor and then I learned how to judge people and I found out I was good at it. I'm darn good at judging people. What? Okay. Whatever. Whatever. It's true. Here's how I judge people now. I judge people who are living with a banner that says Christian, but they're not acting like someone who's addicted to Jesus. It's very different from someone who lives with a banner as a Christian and is a stupid human being. We're all dumb, broken, sin-filled people. As my father-in-law says, we have sin-trained brains. As long as we are alive, we have this flesh which is united with sin and God through Jesus Christ and us trusting in him that Jesus is enough that his death paid for the penalty of all of our sin that his blood and his death and his resurrection is freeing us from power of sin over our lives stretching it off of us like tar that clings desperately for one more moment of control I judge people who say I'm a Christian and then they try to pretend that they're the perfect ones you can tell them in a crowd, I could do something right now. I won't, but I could, that we could find out every uber Christian in here. I could drop a level one cuss word, and you would know who the Judgy McJudgersons are in this room. Their intestines would pucker up. Their face would wince. Sorry, if you're new to the chapel, um, it's a previous sermon where I talk about how I teach my kids tears of curse words. There's tier three, tier two, and like level one. Level one's got like the, the big boys, okay? If I dropped a level one curse word in a live church service, legalists would be like, mm. I could tell when we're at Band of Brothers, because we, thankfully we have a steady diet of sailors that come to Band of Brothers Bible study. And you can tell when a religious person there who, who elevates the externalities of Christianity and is not thinking about Christ in the person that is touched and seen and heard by the apostles. Can you imagine Jesus if he acted like modern day Christians when a prostitute was No, he reached down when a tax collector was a, a, a swindling, cheating, greedy thief. He says, let's have dinner together. We don't do that nowadays because those are those people. If I said a level one, tier one curse word, you would wince. Well, 
And this is what you're thinking. Well, I think Jesus would wince too. Yes, because I forget that the omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-seeing, divine being, the Son of God, word that came down into flesh, who sees all, knows all, sustains all, he hears a Christian say a word and he goes, (gasps) you know he reads our thoughts, right? Like right now. The thought of you, whichever religious person who's judging the tar out of me right now, he knows your thoughts. And you're up there. Well, how can a pastor talk about cursing? Look, I don't curse. It's not because I'm super religious. It's because my mom used my sinful pride against my cursing. My mom told me when I was very young, aren't you smart enough to come up with another word? So she literally leveraged my pride of intellect to get me to stop sinning in a way with words So now if I do curse, it's very intentional. I'm like trying, it's usually only when I'm trying to shock my wife. And she tells me I'm bad at it now. I used to be so good at it. I'm bad at it. And I try to stay away from the level one curse words. I'm more of the level three ones that are acceptable in church now. Crap, etc. Okay. You guys, the omnipotent creator of the universe wants us to testify about what he has done for us, not about what we do for ourselves. People say things like, don't ruin your Christian testimony. If your Christian testimony is about yourself, I promise you one thing, you will ruin it. If your Christian testimony is about a ruined person who is loved by a gracious Savior, that can't be ruined. The only way that gets ruined is if we stand in the middle and try to point to ourselves and say, look how good I am. I know, I feel you bubbling up, religious people out there, saying, well, the Bible says to be a light on a hill. Yes, it does. It says be a light on a hill, be the salt of the earth. You know where it says that? Right in the mix of the sermon that says be perfect. Right in the mix of a sermon that says, the law says don't commit adultery. I tell you, don't even look at a woman with lust in your eyes and heart. How you doing, males in this room, not looking at women with lust? You guys doing great? Track record? Batting 100 out of 100? Oh, we could go even lower. Let's talk to the ones with no prefrontal cortex development, teen boys. How are you doing? If you're under 25, your brain is a soup. You can't even control it. You have more testosterone flowing through your body than brain cells to defend it. Yeah, you wear necklaces like this. Okay? I'm going to get a girl with this broken heart necklace. You know why he, I think he's wearing this necklace? It's a broken heart. And he's like, if I wear this, a girl will think I have a broken heart. And girls like to fix broken people. Don't worry, bro. You're broken without this. Jesus is despite how wrecked I am. It's what Jesus did for me in the flesh. Now here's where it gets amazing. This is what I think is incredible. That's what we testify of. Jesus did this. The, the person Jesus, God in the bod, did this for you and me. Verse 3, the, the second half of it. So that you too may have fellowship. And I know I just mocked this, but this is a very important word. I just mocked this a few weeks ago about pretentious pastors who use pretentious words to sound smart. The word, and if you're a Christian, you speak Christianese, it's a word that you're fluent with. Koinonia. It's just a beautiful word. Fellowship. The reason I like 
koinonia, and the, the reason I want to translate it away from fellowship is because in the 90s, those, these were like the three F words of every church. Family, fun, and fellowship. Yeah. And everything was like pink, cursive writing. And it just, fellowship just has this connotation of me of like Dale lasagna and soggy Caesar salad, okay? Fellowship here is about being connected. It's about being family. At the chapel, I, I don't care if you come to this thing, this Sunday morning. Like, I'm here, I'll be wild, I'll be over-caffeinated, and you might laugh and learn some things. My prayer, my hope, is that you would get plugged into microchurches, that you would get plugged into a community somewhere where you open the Bible. It's not about lasers and jumping and all this weird stuff that church things do. It's about the Word of God coming into your mind impacting the way you feel and then flowing out into what you do, your, your head, heart, and hands. And if you want to have fellowship with us at the chapel family, it's about reaching into the person that is Jesus. When I want to hug my wife, I don't just go like this and be like, oh, I'm just going to think about hugging my wife. Do you think she would feel so loved if I'm like, on an errand somewhere, all by myself in my Volkswagen Jetta. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to hug my wife spiritually. I hope you can feel it right now, babe. Do you feel so loved? I could hug her a thousand times invisibly, and she wouldn't care at all. She might think, if I told her later, took a video proof, you know, like, hey, babe, look, this one's for you. I send that to her just to you know, warm her up to the idea. She might think that's stupid, and it is. She wants me to hug her, be in a relationship with her. She doesn't care how much I study her, think about her. Like I could look at her when she's sleeping and be like, okay, she's got all of her teeth. That's good for me. She's got a nose, two nostrils. Look at this hair color. Let me examine this hair color. Such a good hair color. Yeah, let me look at her pajamas. I should probably buy her some new pajamas. And then if she woke up in the morning and I had a little report on her, babe, look, I counted your hair last night. Not creepy at all. Found all these strands. Not just the ones in your head, but I counted the ones that got pierced through my clothing in the dryer. She wouldn't, she'd be like, that's weird. We do it with Jesus all the time. Look at all these things I know about the Jesus. He did all these cool things. He said this teaching once, like if your eye has caused you to sin, pluck it out. That's so profound, bro. Here's how you can tell where you're at with Jesus. If you're looking for some, some flags of like, okay, think about this. And this is not meant for your shame. This is meant for your identification in your life. Look at how you pray, and that will tell you how you're relating with God. Look at how you pray, and you'll find out how you're relating with God. If your prayers are just for In-N-Out burgers, if your prayers are like, you know, you go to a gathering, and it's always about you and not about God, if your private prayers are about primarily you and not God, there may be something missing in the relationship here. We, we call this something in modern marriages and relationships, we call this narcissism when it's all about us. You see, life is not all for us or about us. There's only one being in the world for whom life is about. God is either the God of the universe who deserves our praise, honor, glory, magnification. And when we 
worship him, and it's actually the best thing for us. If we stood in that position, we'd call that person a narcissist if it was all about us. So God is either the God of the universe or the biggest megalomaniac who ever existed. That's something for you to decide as you read through the word of God. But if you do come to that point where you believe what God has done for me and see that God has done something for you through Jesus, you will have connection, fellowship, intimacy, relationship, whatever word you want to put in there, with one another. And then he goes on to say this, and indeed our fellowship, our connection, our unity, our intimacy is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The reason John is writing is so that our joy is filled up as we make much of God and what he has done for us, as we testify to the relationship that we have. If you've been around the church for a couple of seconds, you've probably heard that phrase, relationship, not religion. It's an easy phrase to say. You guys, as followers of Jesus, we can say some kooky things. Like I wonder sometimes, I, I th try to think back to when I first became a believer to remember how much has changed. Because I think as a pastor, it's hard to, to look at things without the pastor eyeballs on. So like this morning, that song, the Island Boys song, what was it called again? Tremble, tremble. I'm going to call it the Island Boys song forever. Like part of me, like first I felt the vibe, you guys. I was like, oh man, this song's gonna, I'm going to be swaying for the next 14 minutes. And then Sarah started singing, and somebody put a soul in Sarah this morning. She was like, ah, I'm an island boy. And then, and then there was something going on with the guitar. What was that guitar riff? It was just like, and even Ree was doing the looking for seeds in the farm ground. Mm, 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 mm. I was into that song, you guys. And then, uh, but what I'm thinking is, and then all of a sudden I start pasteurizing myself like a day old milk. And I'm thinking, this is weird, you guys. With all the worship songs, what if someone walked in like Ryan Tyrone at 17 years old walks in right now? There's this big, goofy guy in the front with a diamond, real diamond necklace, leopard print inlaid shirt, zebra fancy socks, and he's bobbing like Bob Marley up there, ah, ah, holding his chain up in his teeth. I don't know why they do that in the gym. Yeah, we're going to lift today. I don't know anything about children anymore. But I do know this. Here's why all of this matters. Because connecting you to Jesus connects you with others. If you're connected with others, you're connected with Jesus. It's this intertwined, beautiful thing. And I can't explain it any other way. You might think that I'm goofy. I might be your neighbor in the kingdom of heaven. And believe me, I don't want neighbors in the kingdom of heaven. I've got four kids. I need alone time all the time. You might think, well, how do I have a relationship that's connected? Here's the best way to have a relationship that's connected with Jesus. Connect yourself with people who are connected with Jesus. It's, it's really cool. Like We've got a lot of people connected with Jesus here. 
and it's more than this. Like you're going to be able to share life with these people. We have one of our premier, premier micro churches rooted. They're one of the greatest ones. Who, I, yeah. The reason why I say that is because I forgot about them for like three months, and they got really mad. We've got our best evangelist group in the chapel, bar none, kindred. See? They're like, whoo, because that's the introvert group. They're like, we just want to pray and lead people to Jesus quietly. We've got people who make tacos every Tuesday. Yeah. Although it's sort of weird. Like, I think you guys should lead some more Puerto Ricans or Cubans to Jesus. Get some real tacos up in there. I had white chili last night. I didn't even know that was a thing. Everyone's like, you didn't know white chili was a thing? No. I'm a lactose intolerant half Asian. I don't do that stuff. That's nonsense. <laughs> Poisoning my body. You know, it's this idea of connecting with others who are connected to Jesus will help connect you with Jesus. It's very simple. Don't listen to people who are just blogging and tweeting their lives away in the metaverse. Don't just listen to me. Test what I say and what others say with the Bible. Band of Brothers is, is and will be a treasured memory for a long period of my life because we just sit down. Some weeks we argue, some weeks we don't. We just read through the Bible and stare at each other dumbfounded without caffeine in our system. And it's a beautiful thing because we're trying to connect with Jesus and we sharpen and encourage each other. You might be thinking, how do I get into a relationship? Look, if you're not close to another person who's close to Jesus, you can, you can have all the right tips in your brain. It's like before I had kids, I had ideas about how to raise kids. I know this is just, sorry, young people just tune out. Parents, you love that moment, right? When someone with no kids comes up to you with all the advice in the world. And you're like, bro, I made four humans. And they're alive. Take it or leave it. I remember when I had my first kid and I had all these ideas of grandeur. My kid's never looking at a tablet. That was in 2008. Now I'm like, my kid must have a tablet. Well, you're a bad parent. Probably. That's why Jesus is amazing to me. See, if you want joy, be connected. Don't be a joyless, sad annoying, Debbie Downer Christian, because the Bible tells us the exact opposite. If you are connected to Jesus, you will have joy, not just any joy. Psalm 1611 says, in your, uh, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. If you want the fullest joy, more joy than the greatest show you've ever watched, more joy than that perfectly cooked, medium-rare, bone-in ribeye sizzling off the plate, melting into your mouth, more joy than regular colored chili, more joy than reading the best book, more joy than watching a sunset with the person you love most sitting next to you, more joy than embracing your bride, more joy than going to the gym and feeling like all those endorphins are firing you up, more joy than being looked at by others and adored, more joy than all that comes from knowing and being known by the real, tangible person, Jesus. Well, I can't know him because he's so far away. This is why you have to go be with people who are connected with Jesus. If you want to know what it feels like to be hugged by Jesus, I'll give you a tip today. Like, just go get a couple of hugs. I'm going to pick a couple of people, okay? Get a hug from Jesse. His beard will tickle your elbow on the inside, or your, depending on how tall you are, maybe your neck. 
But he'll wrap you up. He'll make you feel safe because he's so big. Go get a hug by Derek. You won't have to go to the chiropractor for three months. He'll squeeze the soul out of you. Let's see, who else is a good hugger? Go get a hug. Oh, Derek. Go get a hug from Derek Harris. He'll probably whisper words of wisdom into your ear. Yeah. Go get a hug. Go get a hug from, from Lindsay. Just because she's an introvert, it'd be amazing to watch her just fear after service. There's no other reason. I don't want to. No, don't do that. That's a mean one. <laughs> you want to know what it's like to, to be in a relationship with Jesus? When you get to the point of relationship with people where you can say, uh, I don't have enough money to pay this month's electric bill. And without a thought, it's paid. When you say, I had this medical thing coming up and I, I can't afford it. It's in your, your, your group, your community, your microchurch says, oh, what do you mean you can't afford it? We can't afford it. We. You're our family. See, if my blood brother, Trent, needed anything, I'd do anything. If Trent was going through some procedure and he needed me to move to Poland for a year and give him a kidney and empty my savings account so that he could live another decade and see his kids grow up, you know what I would do? I'd say, deuces, Chapel family, I'm going to Poland, giving up a kidney, emptying my savings account. You would do that for your brother or sister that you love, maybe not the ones you don't. And I do love my youngest brother, Noah, but he's, he's a lost cause. Okay. It's not that he's a lost cause. He buys these race cars, he blows up the engines, and then he's like, calls mom, mom, my, my car broke again. And then I'm like, dude, buy like a Tacoma truck. And then he's like, look what I got. It's a yellow BMW from 1994 with a turbocharged Supra. So he needs Jesus. So let's pray for him. Um, but we're connected. Oh, I'd fight for him. And my brother Trent would fight for me. My brother Noah, he wouldn't fight for me. He's in the Navy. He would fix things for me. Um, like ships and stuff. He does ships. He's on a sub. He fixes the submarine things or whatever. My brother Trent was an Army Ranger, and so he's out of the Army Rangers now, but he's got enough anger issues and weapons training to do some serious damage, okay? So, like, if you came after me, like, I feel safer when he's here on a Sunday. I'm like, I read all these church shootings and crazy things. I was like, first of all, there's a lot of other churches that would be people's targets, but if somebody did target this church they would not make it far, because there's a few things going for them. One, I want to see Jesus, okay? So if they were like, oh, I'm gonna kill everybody, I'd be like, me first! And two, while they're looking at this idiot, there's a ninja, army ranger, just swooping down off of here with night goggles. Dude's dead before I knew what happened. And then, like, the sheriffs here would help us cover it all up and just put the body in a barrel. <laughs> like, I've got this all planned out, okay? Because we're a team here at the chapel. We're a family. We look out for each other. And if you're thinking, how can I be a part of a family that amazing? Miss <laughs> Don is going to tell you all about it in a couple seconds here. Because I don't want you to be alone. I want you to have a ninja warrior. I want you to have someone who will put someone in a barrel with you for you. I want someone who you uh, seriously can call at 3 in the morning when you're going through a hard time and you know that they'll pick up or at least text you after they ignore your call. I want someone who will pray with you over your kids when they're going down a horrendous path. 
I want someone who will speak into the lives of your teenagers once your teenagers get to that point between 13 and 17 where they think you're the dumbest human on the planet, but they'll talk to some 20-year-old who has the IQ of a chimp, but they'll do that. I want, I want us to be this type of family. I'm out of control this morning. Okay, we're going to pray. You guys read 1 John. It's about 30 minutes. We're, we're going to be in this book for a couple months, but I want us to read it every week. It, just listen to it. If you commute to Tampa, you'll finish the book every day. And why would I do that? Because I want this ingrained in you. The next week's passage, I want us to memorize, memorize every verse and word and nuance because we're going to tear it apart. Next week, I'm getting out my Apple Pencil. We're going to be highlighting things like a bunch of geeky people so that we can be who God has called us to be and be connected to him as we are connected to one another so that we can understand that the living, breathing Yeshua of Nazareth lives now today and he's put his spirit in you and I so that we can be this type of family that shares a type of message that is not false, that is not us-centered, but Jesus-centered.